My name is Lena Augustinson. And I'm Naomi Clifford. And we'd like to welcome you to this edition of the Door History Podcast. The door. 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 In this episode, Naomi Clifford and I will look at a particular stretch of road in Lambeth together with local historian Tracy Gregory. Using one street, we will explore how women could make a living about 150 years ago and we start our exploration at a noisy street corner. Naomi Clifford and I are standing here with Tracy uh, Gregory outside her home on Loughborough Road. We, we are going down the road to have a look at the various shop fronts. Tell us a little bit about this road and um, let's move back about 150 years. What would we see? So actually uh, the houses that you see today here on this north bit of Loughborough Road are pretty similar to, to what they would have looked like 150 years ago. Uh, not much change in, in the physical aspects of the buildings themselves. They've still got the steps up to the front door on the raised ground floor. Um, the, the front walls are a little bit different and there's probably, the trees are slightly larger than they would have been uh, sort of 150 or even 130 years ago. But otherwise, this end of the street is quite similar. This is a hotel and uh, the actual shop fronts. Could you tell me a little bit about like uh, the first one that we're getting to so coming up to what was number 60 where emma armstrong ran her collar dresses is now actually number 72 because the street was renumbered several times and it's now the megabyte pizza and waffle shop oh. uh, but i've never actually seen it open but uh, anyway so emma would have run her collar dresser business from downstairs Upstairs, she would have lived with herself and occasionally Walter, her husband, uh, but her, her daughter and, and son and their family. We're making what we are calling a respectable living in the 19th and 20th century. Could you explore that a bit about what do we mean by respectable? Yes, it's a very important word, respectable. Um, and uh, if you were not respectable, you really found it difficult to make your, your way through your social life, if you, if you like. Um, respectable meant ordered, no sexual doubt about you. So you would be um, married or single. Um, you would not have any sort of chaotic personal life. So you, you wouldn't have any illegitimate children, for instance, and you would be known to be, if you were young, to be good. Respectability really was a word that clung to women, particularly. Mm. Um, men could be respectable and have a few transgressions, but women really had to be well behaved. Um, so in terms of work, when we are in this um, episode of the door, we're going to talk about women who had respectable work. So we are not going to talk about certain areas uh, of work. Uh, no, you certainly would. We won't be talking about sex work, which is a whole separate subject. 
nor are we really covering today domestic work because although many domestic workers were entirely respectable that again is a huge area which which we're just not going to cover today yeah so we are actually looking at women who uh, particularly work from home uh, rather than going out to work in this episode I think yes indeed mm. um, I mean how how women use their homes for their work and um, had a respectable presentation to the world mm. and, and you Tracy of course know this area that we are going to talk about is which is um, Loughborough Road and uh, could you just tell me a little bit about uh, you know this particular area at that time uh, and and you know what type of people would live here uh, yes at the sort of turn of the 19th and 20th century the area was quite respectable using that word again <laughs> um, in a booth who uh, along with an army of people mapped uh, the the wealth and poverty of London um, chose or, or selected and found that on Lupper Road it was it was a respectable area people were fairly well off um, they were mainly tradespeople obviously the the, uh, the employment of the men primarily uh, designated uh, the the wealth of the family but uh, along Loughborough Road all the houses were, were red which meant that they were fairly well off uh, and yet yeah, tradespeople clerks in the city working for um, importers and exporters uh, in all sorts of, of, of you know commercial trades from textiles to food products and that sort of thing of course there were uh, a lot of entertainers as well but I think that's another another uh, episode in itself because there were a lot of people making a living from the entertainment industry particularly women in this area as well but, but that is interesting and I think that should be another episode mm. and it was just to mention is that because how it's located within London. Um, yes, we've looked at that. There's no sort of definitive reason as to why people located themselves here, but um, we think it is, you know, because there was uh, easy access into the West End, particularly with the tram network. Um, as the area developed, people, there were already a lot of, quite a lot of entertainers living in Kennington. And so as the area developed, the, the more well-off entertainers really moved into and took over some of the properties here. So there was the trams running from the White Horse, which is a very popular pub. And then, of course, there was the train networks as well, which would could get these entertainers to the main station so that they could then travel all over the country to, mm. to go and perform. So... Um, and then, you know, people cluster through different industries. So all the services developed for the entertainers in this area as well. Yeah, I think that that, that, that would be so interesting to, to look at um, at some point. But now we're looking at uh, the women who were residing in, in, in this area and working. Uh, Naomi, you, you will. Well, I was just going to say, I mean, we think of Brixton just going back a little bit. Um, we think of Brixton as, as very urban now, as you know, inner city. But actually, at the time, it was suburban. It was outside what we think what was thought of as London. And Brixton is technically in Surrey, um, so it was really thought of as you know a step as we would we might consider some of the further suburbs that we live that are outside London now. Yeah, it was then regarded 
as quite far away and outside the, the mainstream. So now when we're looking at uh, more specific examples of, of uh, women who worked in the area, would you say it's a, it was fairly typical, uh, Tracy? Um, yes, I think so. I, I haven't looked in detail at any other area, but the way that um, you know Loughborough Road uh, and the Brixton area developed is quite similar to the uh, way that North London developed, particularly East London is slightly different. Um, but you know that expansion of the city, as, as Naomi has said, you know it, the, the suburbs developing, if you like, um, and particularly you know away from the East End and the Thames, you know quite middle class suburbs. So I think that that Loughborough Road and where I've looked at you seems to be fairly typical of, of, of other areas and the way they've developed and the type of people that live there. there and the type of work they would do and how they would gain uh, income. And of course, it wasn't so easy for women to, to actually have an independent income. And I, first of all, what type of women would need to have an income? And what type of women would it be divorced or uh, widow, uh, widows? Or? Well, um, divorce was very difficult to get, even at the end of the 19th century. Um, before the Matrimonial Causes Act in 1857, it was practically impossible that a woman couldn't initiate it. Uh, there were only about 10 divorces a year at that time and they had to each go through Parliament and an Act of Parliament had to be. So it was only for the mega rich and very rare. Even after that Act of Parliament in the mid-19th century, it was incredibly difficult to get a divorce and there were still very few of them because first thing, you had to be in open court and give your evidence in open court so your scandalous life would be laid bare for the public. Um, a man could divorce a wife for one act of adultery. Um, a woman could not divorce her husband unless he was adulterous plus one other thing. So that might be violence, rape in the marriage. It might be he was incestuous, the marriage was incestuous or what they called bestial, which is probably yeah. not something we want to discuss tonight, <laughs> today. But, um, so he, she had to show an extra thing. Yeah an extra aspect. So incredibly difficult to get a divorce. So a lot of people presented themselves as widowed if they had separated from their husbands and lived a very respectable life as a widow, hoping never ever to clap eyes on their ex again. Um, so those people, even though they'd had some chaos in their earlier life, could just lie and say they're widows. If you go to the census, there are many women there described as widows mm. who are definitely not. Oh, I uh, had no idea. Yeah. That is... It's a very... I mean, then why wouldn't you do that, you know? Yeah. You, you wouldn't dis describe yourself as divorced at that time or separated. Yeah, so there were women who were separated as well, yeah. I guess. So they... Would they be a missus then, but they would just, like... Oh, absolutely. The man would not be... Present. Well, if they were, I suppose if they stayed in their area, the neighbours would, would know exactly what had happened. Or um, if they were new to the area, they might say they were widowed. Yeah. And I think a lot of people just, just saw that sort of just um, at the end of a marriage as, as a sad thing. If the, if the man was terrible, they'd be very sympathetic and they'd just sort of ignore it. And then, of course, there must be women who never got married. Yes, yes. Um, and I think I'm right population at this time. Um, so there would always be 
a number of, of unmarried women, who, mm. many of whom did not have a great deal of resource um, and would have to think about how to make a living. Mm. And also, um, <clears throat> you know, even within a family unit, sometimes some of the older girls are still living mm. with parents. They will mm. also be working as well to try and supplement mm -hmm. the income and, yes. and, and carve a career of, of their own. Particularly if they were a little bit, I mean, when I've looked at, there are some younger women, but particularly sort of older women still living at home in their 30s, because mm. by that point, they probably think that they are going to have to, you know, develop a career to look after themselves in the future, because they're probably not going to get married. They may, but yeah. they probably won't be. So, uh, so they've already started working in the home. And this is something, of course, that is easy to forget now that the family unit was quite different, uh, generally speaking. Am I right? Uh, um, well, not really. I'm not sure what you mean. But what I mean is that, for instance, that your elderly parents would live with you, for instance. Or, oh, absolutely. Or that, yeah. you Families, know, that, that yeah. there would be, be children of a family who stayed yes. up until they died. They, you know, they yes. just uh, oh, indeed. always lived with their mother. Yes. Or, um, so that's what I mean. Is oh, that absolutely. So yes. the families. It was, were, you, you wouldn't be expecting to leave home at the age of 21 if you're a, a, a woman. You'd expect to stay at home until you were married. And if you were never married, you would be at home. On the other hand, sometimes married uh, families would split apart if, if the father of the family died. And then everyone would have to start looking for an income if they were not well off. Um, and you might find them in all parts of London or, or the country or abroad because they're all looking for something to do. And it, mm. I know it's not entirely relevant, but it came out in a lot of research I did for the First World War for people, people's families split after the income provider um, died. So, but staying in your home, I mean, it's central to all of us, isn't it? And, and using your home economically would make absolute sense. Yeah. If you that possibly would, could. That would have been an as asset that a, a widow with a live or dead husband <laughs> could could do uh i guess because that is a, a resource even though as i understand it you didn't really own your home in the same way as we think about it now you went a homeowner there were different methods of that were quite complicated if i'm right yes um there was uh particularly on Loughborough road for example there were three sort of landowners if you like uh, the Angel family owned the south side of the street, uh, the Slade family owned the north side of the street, and the Ecclesiastical Commission owned the little row of shops. Uh, and then there were leases and subleases, you know, for, for anything from between three years to 96 years. And some of the properties had, you know, three sub lessees and then a tenant as well. Some were incredibly some, complicated. It is. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah, uh, but some were, in some instances, some people that live there just leased it from the freeholder. But sometimes there were subleases and, and then final tenants. So, so it was quite that, a complicated. That was, yeah, that was quite. Let's not talk too much about that. But the home was even so an asset mm -hmm. for someone who had it. Mm. Well, however, it absolutely. Was. And and often I think one thing to bear in mind is that these homes were very crowded. They were not large. And you might have your aunt living with you, for instance, and she might have to share a bed with you. Plus, there was a love of furniture. 
you know, the 18th century, you think of very sparse rooms with very little in them. Well, by the time you get to the end of the 19th century, people love to stuff their, overstuff their houses. So not a great deal of space mm. in which to, you know, do whatever you're doing. Yeah. So to, to, to run a home, you used a lot of services, didn't you? I sort of understand uh, if even quite modest homes would use various services because the houses couldn't provide them themselves people didn't have washing machines obviously stuff like that and one of the persons we're going to look at I think running well tell me a little bit about this laundrette uh, type of service um yes well as you say you know there was uh most of the houses had one domestic servant a woman in in every instance uh but they they had there was only one servant so they had to do everything uh, so they may have done some washing uh, at home, but on Loughborough Road there was uh, a laundrette run by uh, Emma Armstrong. In fact, it wasn't called a laundrette, it was called a collar dressers. So it's unclear whether Emma and her laundrette uh, uh, collar dressers at number 60, whether she was just literally sort of ironing collars and, and shirts starching and starching it. and ironing. Mm -hmm. Uh, to you know once the items had been washed but she may well have been taking in the laundry and then sending it out elsewhere to a bigger laundry service. Laundry needs a lot of space. Yes. It's got big equipment and you need to dry things so uh, it, yeah, it takes up a lot of real estate so there were these big industrial um, city laundries that people made good use of it. So, yes, I can imagine people coming along with their bundle, a servant coming along with a bundle and giving it giving it in and it would be taken off to another place to be laundered. But certainly um, there was that sort of pressing service, if you like, mm -hmm. you know, and, and attaching... Specialists. Specialists, yes. starching of collars and the bibs in shirts mm -hmm. that would have been going on in the shops. And as Naomi says, you know, they need a, a, a large-scale shop or warehouse to be actually doing the laundry, and that's unlikely to have happened on-site on the mm -hmm. road. But there were actually two collar dressers. Um, there was the one uh, that Emma Armstrong ran at number 60 and then almost opposite on the other side of the road there was another laundry service and that changed that that, that was there for 90 years but it, and it changed um, manage changed managers and owners over the period of time but certainly there are adverts in the paper saying that that is a delivery drop service mm. and the mm. laundry service was actually on Southwark Bridge Road and they had six or seven other drop services mm -hmm. where all the laundry yes. was then taken and to they the main side. And what do we know about Emma? So Emma um, was married to a man called Walter Armstrong uh, and actually the, the collar dresser's business was registered in Walter's name for the first 10 years but it's very unlikely that he was actually anything to do with the collar dressers because he was he's also variously registered as a you know a, a car man and a tea seller but his main line of business was actually as a, a wrestler and a sports correspondent and uh emma and walter seemed to have separated after about 10 years on loughborough road and walter got involved in all sorts of altercations with the law etc they did remain married because mm -hmm. she never identified herself as a widow uh, but they clearly weren't living together and so Emma continued to run the business uh, with her son and daughter living with her. 
um, until at least 1912, uh, well into her 70s, she's still registered in the directories as running the, the collar dressers. Amazing. So she is making a living, probably subsidising her husband because she does turn up in court to support him. So she's probably the one actually making the money and, and helping to support her, her husband in his various antics that he gets up to. Amazing. Wow. And in the other laundry service over the road, uh, that's mainly registered in the name of men. Uh, they are the, mm -hmm. the, uh, the, the business owners, if you like. But living above the laundrette is usually a family headed by a woman that is managing the laundry. So mm -hmm. even though, again, the business is not, not necessarily related to the person that owns the laundry business, but the woman is living above with her family running the, the laundry So service. with this laundrette or drop-off type of laundrette, would it have a, a, a shop front, do you think? Or would it be just like a door where you knock and you give your... Uh... No, it definitely had a shop front because there are a couple of postcards from about sort of 1905, 1908. And, you, uh, the, and the ones that are actually photographs, you can zoom in just about and you can see the sort of graininess of, of the shirts hung up in the oh, window or all that sort of thing so they're, they're you know they're advertising what they're doing yeah. by by the products that mm -hmm. they're selling in the window it's not a sort of closed and shop did, did it have a lot of shops on Loughborough Road yes there's Where, a, yeah there's a there's a little row so there's you know a row of houses and then um and then there's about sort of 10 shops on either side of the road as you get up to the five ways junction uh, so that's that's a row there. And then there were a few shops opposite the White Horse Pub on the corner of Brixton Road as well, but they were demolished in the, in the 70s. But those little shops on the beginning of Lupper Road were sort of connected to the little shopping district, if you like, uh, uh, on Brixton Road itself and going into Robsart Street. But it was very much, you know, serving the expanding residential area, those little shops um, on Lupper Road going up to five ways. Yeah, so so the obviously the laundrette is a type of shop. Were there other shops that women might run? Or? Yes, I mean there were other women definitely at the um, late nineteenth, um, early twentieth century running shops. There was uh, Emma Jenkins. She ran a stationery shop uh, from about uh, again about eighteen eighty. Her husband set up the stationery shop when they moved in when they first got married. But sadly, he died after about three years, and Emma took it on in her twenties and continued to run the shop for the next 45 years. Oh, wow. Uh, and then it remained as Jenkins. And did she live above the shop then? She lived above the shop the mm. whole time with her family, and her sister came and helped her, you know, work in the shop, and there are shop assistants living with her in the flat above the shop as well. And then there's a, a Mrs Dale who run a, ran a boot shop, Eliza Dale, uh, and her husband died. Uh, he, he was the original boot maker. Uh, and she took over the business and ran it for about 13 years after, after he died as well. So, you know, there, there's women who clearly are taking over their husband's businesses. Mm -hmm. But then in the case of Emma Armstrong, I believe she set the business up and it just happened to be in her husband's name mm -hmm. to start with. Mm -hmm. And maybe they were joint owners, you know, the husband and wife setting up the business. It's hard to tell, really, um, you know, without, yeah, without the documentary evidence, we don't know for sure. Uh, but there was certainly it was certainly a way for women uh, on Loughborough Road to to make a, a decent living running these shops mm -hmm. and and living above the shop um, yeah. and having often having the assistants living with them or having you know family working with them. But they were they were leading these businesses. And would people like the Emmas would they would they have other sources of income? Do you think? 
Um, yes, it seems, um, particularly with Emma Jenkinson, I think she had a slightly larger uh, a flat that they took in boarders as well that didn't seem to actually be working in the shop. Um, they may have been working in other shops, you know, they, they, they seem to be, uh, you know, a tobacconist or something like that, assistant, so they seem to have uh, taken in lodgers as well to sort of supplement that income. Yeah. So using your home as a landlady was not uncommon? No, definitely not. Uh, you know, even not not the shop owners, uh, the other houses on the street, there were definitely uh, women heads of houses that were taking in boarders. There's only one house sort of in the 1901 census that's actually designated as a boarding house, but many of the others clearly have, mm. have boarders that are living with them. Mm. Um, uh, many have, you know, extended family members, other, you know, widowed sisters and their children or brothers or things like that but then also uh, bringing in other boarders it's as well it's a sort of classic situation isn't it and you know when you think of boarding houses you don't think of the landlord you think of the landlady of the boarding house it's you yes know, it, it is a it's sort of i suppose the first go-to source of income that you've got you know you've got rooms you make them produce money for you and I suppose all you need to do then is make sure that you've got, you can feed these people. So you might hire a servant to you know, prepare the food, but um, it seems, it, you know, it is the classic and most obvious. Yeah. And they're not uh, always occupation. single people either. No. You know, sometimes they are young couples yes. or, you know, um, um, yeah, a couple with a, with a child as well. So it's not just a house mm. full of single boarders. It's, mm -hmm. it's different, you know, makeups of yes. their family. Oh, I see. You have to, ah. And what, was it quite hard to find housing, uh, you know? Well, I think, you know, people were still coming to London. Uh, you know, London expanded hugely from the mm. 1850s. And of course, this area was, was built, you know, between the 1860s and 1870s. And uh, a lot of people were, were moving from elsewhere in London, from elsewhere in the country, from all over the it, empire, as it were, yeah. you know, coming to London to, to find yes. work. Yes, absolutely. And if you look at the amount of Victorian housing we have, even despite clearances, despite the blitz, everything, there is so much. And that it was, everyone was building. For years and years, everyone was building houses. It's great speculative um, business, isn't it? And often it would not make the builders money. And often they were very badly built. Um, but it was development everywhere, yeah. And there was demand. I mean, they were yes, they were meeting a demand because yeah, you know yeah. London, everyone was coming it was into London, spilling, yeah. yeah, to 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 make a living mm -hmm. uh, in various different ways. So, so, so these were all very respectable type of occupation: shopkeeper, laundrette. Uh, what else have we said? Or boarding landlady. Boarding landlady. Yes. What other uh, avenues were there for ladies to 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 make an income? within their home? Um, music teachers. Um, there's, there's quite a few music teachers. And, and so people, you know, would probably have a piano. Name has already mentioned the mm -hmm. furniture, so you'd probably have a piano anyway. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, quite a lot of singing and events going on in the community hall. So you would have grown up singing within the family, mm -hmm. learning to play the piano. So women, you know, there's, there's several music teachers. Um, Quite unusually, I think, on, on Loughborough Road as well. In, in our research, we've come across this wonderful woman called Nellie Roberts, 
who uh, who made a, a living as an orchid artist. So not just a botanical artist, but specifically painting orchids. And she was taken on as the first orchid artist for the Royal Horticultural Society in 1897. And she continued for them for over 56 years. Mm. So she she made a living uh, from, from, from painting orchids, not just for the RHS, but for the North of England Orchid Society and for private collectors as well. And certainly later in her life, she was um, earning money to look after her sister as well, who was uh, in the 1939 census, obviously later in the period we're talking about, but was you know, designated as incapacitated. So we don't know how long her sister so she had. she had a dependent. Yeah. And yeah. she never married herself, did she? she? No, she didn't. But she had this amazingly long career where she was really top of her top of the her tree wasn't she she was the best yes she was and um you know she's been under recognized um and i i like to think that some of the work that, that we've been doing we we've just unveiled a plaque on her unmarked grave we're running a campaign for uh, a blue plaque on her house and actually the rhs itself have just published a book uh, on orchid illustrations uh, i haven't got a copy it's literally just been published but someone has has informed me that actually in this book is the first time that Nellie is really credited oh, for good, the good. exquisite work yes. that she she has done. So uh, yeah, so she made a living yes. <laughs> as an artist, and she lived on Lucker Road. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so so Nellie is actually taking us into a more uh, living memory. I uh, and women can make a living now, respectfully, <laughs> or, yes. or not. It's easier. Saying that, I think that it's it's also quite interesting to look back at, at you know, for instance, with lodgings and stuff like that, still many landladies around, mm -hmm. uh, you know, yes. uh, and uh, making the most of what you can. I think it's interesting, isn't well, it? Well, both you and I have, uh, Lena, have done that, haven't we? Well, yes, we indeed. We our rooms <laughs> as an income at, at a, a particular point, so... Yes, I mean it's it's still a thing. Yeah. Um, but I was I was just thinking about sort of uh, the the rights of women and what what they were allowed to do, and living memory. And certainly, I remember when I was a child that um, uh, my mother, for for instance, couldn't take out a loan or buy something on hire purchase without the signature of my father. Hmm. Um, so running your own financial affairs was. Uh, up until recent history, you know, a, a little bit of a problem if you were a woman, um, and uh, you know, I'm just thinking about the the uh, issues for for the women that Tracy has just mentioned, you know, coming up against leases and things that address you as a man only, and I think you've mentioned that you found one where where the the, the um, Mister had been struck out and this is that. Am I remembering that right? Um, well, there's definitely sort of cases where, um, you know, leases have been awarded to the husband and then the husband has seemingly passed away. Mm. And so, you know, things have been altered and then the lease does go into yeah. the woman's name. But how that happened like, legally, I don't know. Mm. And as with all these, you know, amazing women that made a living, you know, well, this is before women had the vote, you know, mm -hmm. as you say, they couldn't sign documents. So I don't know, particularly those that are, you know, uh, widowed, whether they're separated or not, mm, you know who yes. signed, who they got to sign the documents yes. to actually be able to register their business and all that yes. sort of thing is, you know, yes. it's, it's a bit. And unclear, a lot of these really. pre-printed documents were designed for men. Yes. So yeah, 
And that, yeah. So it's an interesting further line of inquiry, yes, yes. but but they clearly are, you know, making a, a very deep. I don't don't know about very decent, but you know, in in the directories, for example, in the Kelly's directories, yeah. you can see that they are the heads of the business, and mm -hmm. that's sort of one area where yes. they they could register yes. their business yes. and promote their business. But um, legal documents, I'm you know, I'm not so sure. Uh, and also, I mean, they were they, they were not seen as particularly unusual. Um, they were a p big part of the landscape and perhaps a, a landscape that, you know, their part in it has been forgotten, just like Nellie Roberts, you know, the beautiful artistry that she produced, the artworks that she produced, um, not given the recognition that she should have done. But mm. you know, equally, the laundresses and the, the sort of more ordinary um, business keepers and business, business women they don't pop up in our imagination in the way that you know the Victorian shopkeeper does. We've all seen those tableau, those those photographs of of, of butchers outside their their shop fronts with all the butchers' assistants. I mean, maybe that's not a very good example, butcher, but you know other business shop businesses. Yeah, we don't think of a woman in charge of that. Mm. We always think mm, Victorian shopkeepers they're men. Yeah. So I think it's time we. Recognised this huge contribution to the economy yeah. and to the where we are now um, by women. And I, that's what we're trying to do a little bit on yes. Laffer Road, telling women's stories. I think we should mention that Tracy has um, produced a fantastic book with with um, the uh, with the help of the Brixton Society. I think that's right. Could you just tell, give us the details for that, Tracy? Uh, yes, um, it's called uh, Loughborough Road Histories. Uh, and, and does it have your name on it, Tracy Gregory? It does, yes. Uh, and it, it's actually volume one, amazingly oh, enough. That's wow, probably a bit, bit like, overambitious. But, uh, <laughs> so, and it, it does contain, you know, small stories. So, for example, one of the things that I look at is a postcard from 1905 and go along and describe very quickly what the businesses are and who's running those businesses in mm. in that photograph in the postcards and there's also a, a short uh, history of, of Nellie Roberts and, and a couple of the other businesses as well and as I gather more stories uh, you know maybe one day I'll publish volume two okay. and, and it's available from the Brixton Society from the Brixton Society and the Brixton Society's page on eBay thank, thank you, you Tracy, Tracy. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Door Podcast. Please like us on social media, Twitter or Instagram at The Door Podcast. Or subscribe to us. You'll find all our various platforms on our website, thedoorpodcast.com. That's all from us. See you next time. Bye. Bye.